Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Caught offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan and from Ireland, Europe. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Uh, what's up is, Andrew, I've probably been better. Um, imagine planning a trip to your homeland to see all your family and booking off a nice block of time, mm. a nice two weeks. And then within a few days of landing, realizing you got COVID. Oh, oh no, no, no. No. So to set the scene, I am in a farmhouse in the west of Ireland, an Airbnb. I'm on my own. My girlfriend has gone traveling to to see relatives of hers, mm. uh, which is good considering the, the circumstances. And uh, yeah, today I found out I have COVID. So I will spend the next few days at least in uh, some kind of uh, relative isolation here um, in Little House on the Prairie, Ireland style. Uh, well, I'm very sorry to hear that. Uh, I hope you're feeling okay. I, I'm feeling all, all right. Uh, I've got, it's certainly not as bad as the first time. I've got um, little chills. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I was actually lifting timber, lifting logs, real mad stuff uh, on Monday and Tuesday for my father. I was clearing away some some wood that was felled around the house. I'm really setting a scene here. And um and I thought uh, this evening that the soreness in my uh, in my bicep muscles was just due to the fact that I was lifting stuff. But uh, it is that, but it's been exacerbated by, by COVID. One thing I've noticed, COVID attacks every little muscle tear you have and uh, ex- uh, exaggerates it. But listen, I'm not that bad, so I'm hoping to get out of it fairly quickly. What can I do to help? I'll fly there right now. You can just do this podcast with me. Uh, let's try and make it upbeat. Let's try and have fun with it. Let's just do what we've been doing so far this summer. Uh, I don't want you flying with me. You sent me a really disturbing image. Mm-hmm. You offered to fly uh, to Ireland to be my nurse. Mm-hmm. And then you sent me a picture of uh, the dearly departed Heath Ledger's Joker dressed in a nurse's outfit. And honestly, I think I prefer if Heath Ledger as his Joker character turned up in the nurse's uniform than you and your, let's be honest, quite, quite frankly, grotesque legs mm-hmm. uh, on show. I just want to tend to you. I, I want to help. I want to nurse <laughs> you back to health. I don't like this. I do. I do need tending, but right now there's not much tending uh, anywhere close to me, really. I am uh, in what usually would be glorious isolation. Uh, but, but some things, Andrew, you know, my brother said to me today, he just said, when I phoned him and told him the news, he said, just this is the, the times we're living in right now. This is the uh, a very virulent strain that's going around and you can get it. You just have to accept it and, and get on with it and not think too much about it and try and negotiate it the best way you can. However, tonight in the football world, something gripped me that was familiar, something that will never change. COVID, war, strife, political strife. England, the women's team, started the tournament and started it really, really kind of unsure and tentative. They got the three points, but there was more questions uh, to be asked. I speak, of course, of the 1-0 win over Austria at Old Trafford, which for some reason UEFA are calling Trafford, as if they don't have the rights to say Old Trafford. They're calling it Trafford uh, for some insane reason. 
But um, but England getting it done in nervy fashion to start the tournament in June, July that that feels that feels like I've seen it before. And their manager has a professorial look, not unlike that of Sven Joran Eriksson. So it, it just feels like whatever my misery right now, I'm going to get to enjoy some form of an England team. Uh, albeit uh, it's going to be the women's team this time, crashing and burning oh, in, a tor- in, in a tournament on a home soil. It's all, so not- it's all very on brand. Everything you've described it is, here. It is on brand. And can I speak about brands? Uh, I, keep, I want to go with this theme of on brand. So, so the big news everywhere, even though Ireland is not part of the United Kingdom, uh, the big news here is obviously Boris Johnson's cabinet en masse resigning. It's as if, you know, they've all just decided they can't take any more of this. There was a, a certain scandal that pushed everyone over the edge. It's, it's quite a enough. scandal. It's a heck of a scandal. Yeah. It really is. But, like, there were other scandals, Andrew, and they still held fast. Mm-hmm. But now they feel as if we, we can't stay behind this guy any longer. But it's so funny that there was a Northern MP who had supported Johnson all the way along, and he is talking to Sky News about his decision... <laughs> his decision to resign and it's all like football speak it's all football speak you know the way things have been going lately you know i backed him i really did back him uh but you know i can't i can't continue to back him anymore this was this was a line that was crossed he sounded like a leeds united fan phoning into talk sport to say that he backed bielsa all the way not that i'm comparing bielsa to to boris johnson but for the purposes of this analogy mm-hmm. but he can't do it anymore and then as if out of nowhere, I'm flicking through the channels last night before I go to bed. Love Island is on. Michael Owen's daughter is on Love Island. Huh. Um, and I'm just watching it, you know, briefly. Um, just see if, if, you know, will I will I run across her? I don't know what she looks like. There's this girl talking and it's just the cadence of her father. And it's it's Michael Owen. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like everywhere I go, there's some kind of like football reference. I'm either watching way too much or these things are just embedded in my skull. But anyway, I thought I'd give you that little little cultural slice there. Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear all that. Honestly, I hope you're feeling better. Um, Thanks, I, man. I hope this podcast, at least for a little bit, helps you kind of take your mind off of however you might be feeling. And let's uh, we'll have some fun. And let's do that by starting out talking about... I mean, there's a lot of big stories going on right now. We're, we're going to get to Tyler Adams in a little bit. I know you just mentioned Leeds United fans calling into talk shows. Maybe they're doing that right now, talking about this American invasion of their club. Uh, we'll do that shortly. Um, the U.S. under-20s winning the CONCACAF championship and what that means. We'll talk about that as well. But whenever, I guess whenever there's a certain like echelon of player that when they're involved in transfer rumors, because we try to steer clear of the transfer rumors, as we've talked about on this podcast, but there's a certain caliber of player that when they're tied to a move somewhere, you kind of have to, you can't, you can't really avoid it. you got to address it. And that is what's happening right now with Cristiano Ronaldo as he seems to want out of Manchester United. Um, there's a lot of different directions to go with that. The first one for me is this idea of, okay, he wants to leave, and United are not on board with that. At least that's what they're saying publicly, that they, they don't want him to go, and they're going to they're gonna play hardball here. And I just wonder if you 
like we talked a lot this season about Cristiano Ronaldo and what he meant for Manchester United and how polarizing his presence there was, whether that be on the field, you know, him playing well, but the team really struggling uh, in the locker room. Did his presence there cause any kind of rift in the club or anything to that of that nature? It just things just felt unsettled with him there. And so to see now that he wants to go, there was part of me that saw that and saw United trying to keep hold of him and think, do they are they just saying this publicly? Is this some sort of posturing moment for them where they're trying to gain some kind of leverage and, and let everybody know, uh-uh, we don't want him to leave, so if you want him, you're going to have to come ready with a price, with a significant price. Because part of me saw that and thought, they might be they might be just fine with him leaving. I certainly think that Eric Ten Hag would be fine with him leaving. I mean, there's nothing to suggest in, in the way that Ten Hag would set up a team that he'd be able to accommodate Cristiano Ronaldo in that lineup. Um, I think what's interesting about it is that, you know, we can now be disabused of the notion that Ronaldo put out at the start where, you know, he was always going to come back to Manchester United. I mean, you talk about Man United desperate to keep him. Well, it was keeping him away from Manchester City that, that ultimately meant he ended up at Manchester United. And, and like, I, I think the club from a marketing standpoint, I am sure there's people at the upper echelons of Manchester United who really would like to keep him. Because just from a, a metric standpoint, we know how United are so engaged with social media. We know how they're nothing moves the needle like Cristiano Ronaldo, like like having him there, or except possibly Lionel Messi. You know, that's that's what you were talking about there when you talk about this upper echelon style of player. But like from a footballing standpoint, it makes no sense to keep it. Um, now the only thing is that what United fans will cry. Well, you know, how, how can we how can we start out? you know, a season without a recognized center forward. Well, you have to go out there and try and figure that one out in the market if you have to. But Ronaldo has been a failed experiment. Again, I don't want to do a victory lap here. And by that, I mean, I, I do want to do a victory lap. <laughs> we, we spoke last fall about this when we did our emergency podcast. I said this guy could score 20 goals in the season and you know, it could still be bad. And that's exactly what's happened. Um, you know, they're not, they're, they, they, they didn't just fall away this season with him in the side as you know they fell off a cliff and for all those moments and i would agree with you it was persuasive you know every time he would pop up and rescue them from the flames it was a persuasive god you know he isn't the problem well you know a football team is a unit and it's components and it's never been more so than that and this is a is a misfiring component in terms of how the team plays and sets up and so Rania couldn't figure it out. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer seemed to have been bullied into the transfer, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, yeah, it was... I, I cannot believe there's football people remaining at Manchester United that want to keep this guy. Um, yeah, I tend to agree with you. For me, my reasoning is more about just... It just feels to me like they have to start fresh. They can't have another... You talk about a failed experiment. They can't have another failed manager. Like, I think they yeah. have to, there just has to be a clean slate. And I'm not saying that Ronaldo couldn't necessarily be a part of that, but if he wants to go, the last thing that Eric Ten Hag walking into this club needs is a disgruntled Cristiano Ronaldo in that dressing room. You just don't need it. That sort of negative life force and whatever rift that yeah. that could create behind the scenes. Like, if you're, if you're in on this manager, you got to be all in. And I just worry what his presence there might mean. Uh, I mean, look. I I 100% agree with you, Andrew. Yeah. That's it, really. You've got to give this manager his head. And it would shock me 
if Eric Ten Hag is like, this guy, this uh, he's a serious part of our future of what I want to do. Yeah, no, you've got to treat you've got to treat Eric Ten Hag as a manager that is taking this club forward, and taking it forward should not mean having a striker who played. You know, I mean, also the other side to it is let's look at the Ronaldo side. Forget United for a second. Mm-hmm. Ronaldo needs to get out of there because he doesn't. He cannot waste. He's right in one sense. He cannot waste waste the final few seasons of his career, however long he wants to go on for, in a rebuild operation. Right. He is taught, He is in the era of legacy now. Now, for me, his legacy is already cemented. But this elite attitude, if it exists at all, you know, you see it on, on online that oh, he, we got to keep Ronaldo because he's got an elite attitude. No, you have to let him go because he's got an elite attitude. He's got an attitude that it's all about him and and his legacy, and therefore he needs to go to a club where that can be achieved. Where he lands and how that happens is. Is another question, but if I'm United, I'm looking to get him gone in the worst way possible. And if I'm Ronaldo, I want to get gone in the worst way possible. Yeah, I almost don't blame him. Um, you know, he's 37; no, he'll be 38 in February. But he still he still has shown that he can play at a level where he can be a a he can still be a very good player. Uh, and I think you know his desire to to at least be a Champions League level player in the last few years of his career, or at least the last few years of his prime. Uh, however I mean, many years not, that may be left, he wants to be playing in the Champions League. He should be, quite frankly. Well, he is. He has no interest in you know bringing on United. You know, he has no interest in in, in guiding young players to no, be whatever. No, he just doesn't. His his interest is in CR seven, and if that's the case, then he's then then he needs to find somewhere where he can f- fulfill the ambition of those of those final years. I, I actually think this one is pretty straightforward. Yeah, I tend and, to agree, and, and that brings us to the next part of this conversation. You say, where you know, where can he go? Well, Chelsea seem to be the club that is sniffing around here, and this is this is even more fascinating to me than Ronaldo's desire to leave United. The idea that Chelsea will want him. Um, we just suffered through a year, JJ, of Lukaku headaches at this club because he's just, you know, it was the same chorus over and over again that he just isn't the type of player that traditionally succeeds in a Thomas Tuchel system. I don't know that I have the energy to do this all over again. This was no, I- uh, this was from James uh, Beng at CBS Sports. And he wrote about this. He said, The Chelsea manager has long favored forwards who can be the first line of defense. He articulated his philosophical approach after last season's 4-0 win over Juventus, a match where his front three made as many successful pressures as Ronaldo did in all of February. In simple terms, we attack together and defend together, he said. He would not, um, he would not get much of the former from a player who, according to FB Ref, averaged one and a half fewer pressures per 90 minutes than any other Premier League forward last season. Like if if this happens, I just can't envision Tuchel being the driving force behind it happening. And if that's the case, like we're gonna make this mistake again with a Chelsea yeah. forward. Yeah, and it feels as if history repeating. Uh, instead of uh, Roman Abramovich, the tandem of Roman Abramovich and Marina Granovskaya driving this transfer as they they drove the transfer of Lukaku, Granovskaya in particular, from what we hear. It's going to be Todd Bowley. Now, from what we know of him as a character, Todd Bowley in his previous uh, sporting life as an executive was fairly hands-on in transfers and things of this nature. But this is an area he knows nothing about. And the idea that that Ronaldo, hey, maybe maybe we're underestimating the unbelievable gifts of Thomas Tuchel, that he can actually actually fit 
this, I mean, how would you describe Ronaldo in terms of of movement? I mean, this oak tree. No, I mean, he's <laughs> just know? not he's not that player anymore. Like, he's I, not so, that so player. I, the like, only reason I feel like calling him an oak tree isn't fair is because in attack, he's willing to move. He's willing to you know, to be dynamic. We've seen him score in a lot of different ways. He can still rise above everyone in defense to connect with a header. He's, he's still yeah. an unbelievable athlete. So I can't go Oak tree in that sense, but, but he is in that, like he's now at a stage of his career, much like what we have seen with Lionel Messi, where like, they're just, they got to conserve energy and they're going to conserve their energy right. so they can do dynamic things in attack. They're not they're Like if Thomas Tuchel, like it says here, wants attackers who will be the first line of defense, he ain't it. He's not that guy. Yeah, that's right. And and we should also go back to the fact that this problem was was diagnosed way back in the fall. Was it October when Manchester United lost to, to Leicester? And Brendan Rodgers just came out and said, we can play through the centre of this team. We can, we can pass the ball out through the centre of this United team. We were able to do that today because they're soft through the centre. And what he meant by soft was he kind of said, they won't press you there. And who was the center forward that day? Mm-hmm. And that's just not that's just not in within Ronaldo's gift anymore. And like he never wanted to do it anyway. Like when he was a winger and he played on the same side as Gary Neville, Gary Neville often talks about how Ronaldo would be on the right hand side. And when they'd lose the ball, Gary Neville would look up and he'd think, Jesus Christ, there's two players coming at me. And Ronaldo would be in the left hand forward position, you know, because that was the nature of him. He was this and he was so deadly or became so deadly for United that like he this kind of player was indulged. I don't think that works anymore. Um, and it certainly doesn't work when you're, when you're 38 or 37 or 30 about, sorry, about to turn 38. I think this is fairly straightforward. I think this, is, again, I think this is a, an executive who thinks he knows something about the game, wanting to stamp his authority on a club that he's just bought by making a splash. But this is not a splash you want to make. This is water you want to keep in the pool. Yeah. It's a weird thing. It's like one of those things where I wish I could be a fly on the wall in whatever meetings are going on there because, you know, like, again, it's just my guess. I could be wrong. Maybe Tuchel sees it's Cristiano Ronaldo and maybe he thinks, oh, well, we're a player of that caliber. I can make it work. So I don't know what's, what the meetings are, but my just my guess is from everything we're saying is that this would not be a guy on the top of his wish list. But when you've got a new owner and like you presumably want to get things started off on the right foot you want to make this work you want to have a good working relationship like is Tuchel going to be that forceful in talking to his new owner when he knows that this might be a guy like this owner Todd Bowley maybe wants to make a splash and bring a Ronaldo in and and you know right out of the gate bang we're we're not messing around we're Chelsea we're back we the best players want to play here like if if that's the case if you have a new boss and you have a disagreement right out of the gate, like that's that's weird, right? So I wonder. I would just like to be in the room, just quietly sitting there, watching how it's going down, how those conversations are happening. Yeah. I, now look, Tuchel had no bones and uh, had no qualms about publicly kind of humiliating this expensive player that was bought for him by Granovskaya and Abramovich. He didn't care about the owner. Now that was in part aided by the fact the owner suddenly became quite a lame duck owner for a large part of the season because mm-hmm. the, the club was in the control of the UK government. Uh, it was under sanction, uh, effectively. So it was easy for him to drop Lukaku. But nevertheless, I don't think I don't think this is a player Tuchel wants. I, 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 I'm trying to figure out how 
it would work. And so far, I, I don't see a solution. So with that, I then ask you, well, what about Raheem Sterling? Because we had been talking about this, and now it sounds like this is happening. Uh, Fabrizio Romano, a little while ago, says Raheem Sterling uh, accepted Chelsea as a future destination weeks ago after direct talk with Tuchel. Yeah. And personal terms fully agreed he'll be among the best paid He'll be among the best-paid players, Chelsea and City, set to agree on a final fee around forty-five million pounds, and then it will be completed. So it looks like this is this is happening. A great, I mean, Raheem Sterling during his time at Manchester City has been a part of tremendous success, one of their great players, um, and now it looks like he's headed to new pastures with Chelsea. Does does this work? I mean, it's it. it, it it says there in that tweet that I just read that his talks with Tuchel is kind of what made it happen. So presumably that is a player that Thomas Tuchel wants. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I, th- I can see it working. I mean, if you want to factor in maybe an uneven record across the last few seasons for City where, you know, remember we, we kind of felt there was a moment maybe two or three seasons ago where Raheem Sterling had hit this level of consistency where we're like are we watching one of the best players in the world right now I think it was going into like the 2018 World Cup or something like that and I, and I think I could have agreed with that then and and you know he's capable of, of brilliant performances and I can see how he can work for Thomas Tuchel in this Chelsea side the interesting thing for me is uh, Todd Bowley doesn't appear to be driving a very hard bargain here uh, Michael Cali tweeted sterling deal is a big one for reporting the costs not the fee reportedly he'll be paid 78 million over five seasons oh. on t- on top of the 45 million fee to the city so that's what does that average out what, uh, like what 15 million a season that's that's a lot a lot of payroll and it's no you know we're talking premier league terms so i'm just i'm just thinking the back end of that deal may not look so clever uh, as the player ages, but but for right now, I I kind of like it. Yeah, but it, boy, that's an extraordinary amount of money for a player that, while good, I mean, very yes. good, uh, is coming off of what was certainly not his best season at Manchester City, where he was kind of, you know, in and out of the first eleven. Um, a lot of you know, he's he's been a Premier League player for. Over a decade, uh, yeah. uh, you know he he'll be twenty eight, I believe, later this year. Um, there's yeah, a lot a of lot. tread on the tire, and it's you know for at least this year he's going to be presumably. I, I, well, you know what I was going to say, he'll be with England at the World Cup. I assume that's the case. He's kind of been an England mainstay. Um, boy, that's oof. Well, that's a lot of money, man. I don't, it, I don't it, know. It does feel. It does feel that way. Uh, no, we don't have the exact ins and outs of the deal, but that that appears to be what it's going to be. And uh, yeah, it, it kind of it took me aback when, when you see it because it's already talking about transfer fees. But as we've seen with the Mohamed Salah deal, the the wages are really where where where, where things get get either interesting or in this case, I think towards the end we'll we'll get a little bit sticky, a bit of a burden. Um, but we'll say, but but like in terms of football, I, but there, I mean, Chelsea's I I, Chelsea's concern though is probably not what that looks like five years from now. Um, you know they're probably no, willing, and, they're they're probably willing to either take a loss or who knows what revenues will be like at that point in this league as the trajectory is. It, it also it also it also looks easier if, for example, they can move on um, players that you don't see a fit for any longer, like maybe possibly Pulisic. Mm-hmm. And maybe even 
more obvious to that, Hakan Ziyech. So if they can get that, those good, I mean, you should be able to get a good fee for Ziyech, I would think, and get those wages off the books, then then maybe this doesn't look so bad. I still say, though, it feels to me like they're they're missing a pure goal scorer, which is kind of funny because we just spent 10 minutes kind of bashing the idea of signing Ronaldo, which would in some ways fit that bill. But it feels to me, I mean, unless you think Timo Werner is going to have some sort of um, reawakening there or... If you think our our Sterling has been signed for to help the spreading of the goals amongst him and Kai Havertz, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Sterling will contribute, but like, do you see him as a guy who's going to score between fifteen to twenty goals? I don't know. Maybe that maybe, maybe that's not the model. Maybe it's maybe it's it's ten. Another guy with fifteen. Another guy with twenty. I I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's fascinating what's going on there. I mean, we've been really talking is. forever, but about this new Chelsea and I still am no closer to, to kind of getting a grasp on what it's going to be. Um, back to United for a sec. Uh, we should mention that the uh, their pursuit of Christian Eriksen appears to have paid off. Looks like he'll be joining them on a three-year contract. Uh, I like the move on a free. I think this Very is a gr- I think it's a great bit of business for Manchester United. Exactly what they need, a, a sort of a playmaking uh, attacking midfielder. Um, I think it's I think it's really good for them. I think there'll be enough time to analyze this as a football and move. He is still a, a footballer of extreme talent, and uh, I think you can't have enough of him. Uh, well, you can have enough, obviously, but I, I, it's hard to see him as anything other than an addition in terms of a footballer. But I I just can't get away from. There's a real genuine warmth. This move now. I know United aren't aren't what they used to be, and we know that they really made it. I mean, who would have thought going from Brentford to Manchester United would be such a drawn out process on a free? I mean, it kind of speaks to where you United are right now. But all that said, United are still one of the great clubs of world football, and within a year of having a heart attack, to be able to come back and be able to sign with them, and possibly, you know. Just, and be part of, of of a big club like that. I mean, Christian Eriksen surely thought that door had closed. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm sure he thought his his career door had closed in the in the hours and days after what happened in the Cope and, and the uh, Parkin Stadium. So, so I, I just feel kind of I feel great for him that he's going to a big club. Even you know rivalry and that nonsense aside, it's uh, I, I I honestly I think it really it really is a warm story, Andrew, because. Uh, the mountain he climbed to get back was huge. Oh, it, it, it's remarkable. Now, on the footballing side of it, Jack Pitbrook brought something up that was interesting to me. Um, he tweeted this. He said, I've seen some people asking, how do Bruno Fernandes and Christian Eriksen play together? I personally don't think Bruno is in remotely the same category as Eriksen, especially when it comes to what Ten Hag wants. Obviously, this is difficult for United now that they've given Bruno a new deal. What do you think right. about that? Yeah, I mean, is there? And by the way, it seems like United's pursuit of Frankie De Jong continues. So you kind of add another somewhat similar player to the mix. I mean, there, there's, well, well, there's going to well, be an no, odd no, no. man out. I mean, Frankie De Jong and Eriksen, you would think will occupy places, assuming they all play in the same team. Frankie De Jong is going to play much deeper than either Eriksen or, although Eriksen, I, f- I kind of feel will be deep, deeper. Than Bruno too, so I, I wouldn't say they're exactly the same, um, or that they have three similar players. But you're right in terms of that. That seems like a lot of creativity to dump into a midfield. And uh, I mean, 
Fernand, Bruno Fernandez is a, is a is a magnificent footballer, and I I'm sure Ten Hag can find a way to make this work. Um, but I, I I I do think that he'll be further up the field uh, than and that Ericsson will be could be a link man between the base of that midfield and their attacking players uh, and their prospective centre forward or however that works out in terms of their attack. Um, but I mean, you, you do feel they need to get that that Frankie De Jong move over the line. Like this is. I cannot remember the last time, or maybe I can, but it just escapes me, where there was a big a big name that United were in for that they got done without it being this saga. Ericsson's has been a kind of a saga. Uh, you know, the signing of Jaden Sancho was a three-year-long epic. Mm. Uh, and this Frankie Dion thing is just, it's just going on too long for my liking. Like, he's coming or he's not. United feel like they're being, they're being abused a bit here in this transfer. Yeah, I can't tell what Barcelona want here. Do they, like they need money, right? So presumably yes. somebody, someone of value has got to go. Uh, but it seems like they don't want him to. Go. I don't. I don't know. Um, maybe it's, again, mean, it's do, still do, it's still posturing. There's a lot of transfer window left where they can spend as much time as they want. They kind of hold the cards here, so they can jack this price up as much as they feel like they need to until they've reached a point where because they you know there's there's no. If you're a Premier League club trying to take a great player from a player in another league, you're never getting a discount. Everyone knows it's, it's not a secret the money that has poured into that league right now, especially a club like Manchester United. So, you know, if you're Barcelona and your financial problems are well documented, you desperately need every penny that you can come up with right now. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not surprised at all that they're playing a long game here with how that transfer is going to go. Yeah, and, and you know, we gotta we got to factor in the way the player feels. I mean, the player really did seem to visualize playing for Barcelona as the the pinnacle of his career. And now he's been told he's going to this other team who as 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 vaunted as United are, not in the place that they were under Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah, so but I, I bet that, he wouldn't hate playing for that manager again. I mean they created some know, magic together at Ajax. He, yeah, but again it's it's again if your goal is to go to Barcelona and be in the Champions League, which they will be in uh, and then you end up like, and also he's only there a short time. So, yeah. Again, again, you know, you have to figure out a way to get this done, you know, because I think he'd be a good acquisition for them. I think so too. Um, I'll tell you what, let's go ahead. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. There's still a lot more to do here. We're going to talk a little about the under 20s with the U.S. Uh, like we said, Tyler Adams and Leeds becoming the new Fulham. It, there's, it's all oh, still. Oh, whoa, whoa, it's whoa, all. Whoa, yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. If you want your, if you want. If you want a slap, Andrew, mm-hmm. if, 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 you, if you urgently needed a slap to cure you of some ailment, go to a Leeds bar and say Leeds are the new Fulham and, and that will do it for you. Look, the, the truth is what it is. If you need me to speak truth to power, you know I'm more than happy to do it. Uh, oh, God, that's giving me more chills than COVID. <laughs> Let's go ahead. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Back now on Caught Offside. JJ, while you're dealing with this, this uh, COVID situation that you've got, what's on the uh, what's on the the binge watching docket? I mean, you don't have a whole lot to do. I know you're going to watch some of the uh, the women's European Championships, like you did today. But uh, wh- where are you at in the new season of Peaky Blinders? Do you have 
Do you have something else on the list? Let uh, me in here. Peaky, well, I'm trying to. Sp- I was trying to spend as much time with my family as possible, but I guess there is more time. Binging was not on the on the list, but I guess now it is. There's there's a show starring two of my favorite comedians who I always play videos to you. In fact, after we record, I often play you Mitchell and Webb videos mm-hmm. just to make you uh, to make you laugh on on your way out the door. But they have a show, and I watched season one of it. It's called Back, where uh, um, Mitchell is just plays this this son of a, of a recently deceased father who's in his like mid thirties, and all of a sudden this foster kid turns up. And uh, and he, he kind of wants to muscle in on all the action, but everybody loves him. They don't see him as this kind of shyster trying to get some money or anything like that. And he, he's beloved, much to the chagrin of, of David Mitchell. So I'm, I stumble across season two. is has been shown right now here. So I started watching that. And uh, I watched it the other night. It's it's pretty funny stuff. It's, it's very good. I would recommend people watch back David Mitchell and... Uh, I always forget Webb's name, Webb's first name, but that, that doesn't matter. I for sure thought that you'd roll right through the Sergio Ramos series. Oh man, uh, did you did you start to get? No. Did you watch a bit of it? No. Dude. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not rushing to that. I'll get there, but after the things you said about it, I'll, I'll take my time. If I've got things more yeah. important, I'm I'm going to do those things first. I'm also doing a tremendous amount of reading. As oh, I push my here we go, as I push my glasses from the bridge of my nose to try try and look uh, sound intellectual. Uh, no, I, I I found a book on a stoop um, last summer, and I haven't got around to it. It's the making of the president, nineteen sixty eight. So the making of the basically the campaign for president, nineteen sixty eight. And when you think of everything that happened in the year in that year, good lord. Um, so I started reading that at. Uh, if we think we live in inter- interesting times right now or terrifying times, that was pretty scary too. Yeah, well, we do. We, we currently do. Um, oh, yeah, we do. Let's let's take it back, though, to the good, some of the good things happening. JJ, the U.S. under-20s, they win the CONCACAF championship um, in relatively easy fashion, 6-0 over the Dominican Republic. Probably not the opponent they expected in the final, but that's no. when they got, and they, and they took care of business. Along the way, of course, they clinch an appearance in next summer's Under-20 World Cup, which is great. And for the first time in three cycles, the U.S. are going back to the Olympics, which is also great. What's that that TV game show where all the prizes roll along on a conveyor belt? You talking about like, like, the price is right? Or? Yeah, 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 yeah. So when you were listing off all the prizes that they've picked up over this tournament, this feels like the CONCACAF version of the price is right. A new car! <laughs> You're going to the Olympics. <laughs> uh, I have a, a few takeaways from this. Uh, what was a, a fun couple weeks for the U.S. down in Honduras. Um, I guess my number one takeaway, which is really the thing that you're hoping to see when you're watching your under-20s play, is that the pipeline of talent feels like it's in a good place right now. Now, look, I, I it's important to be happy about this, of course. Yeah. This is really good, but you also don't want to go overboard. This wasn't necessarily Correct. like, you know, these these were all good wins. The performances were were fun. There were a, there was a lot of good soccer played by this team. Um the semifinal, the first 45 minutes was, you know, they they were tremendous. Um but they were not taking on the elite of the world. So it's important to keep that in mind. But like I mean, look, they exit the tournament as champions, and they did it with an aggregate scoreline of 31-2. to 
All right, you can only play the teams that are in front of you, but like you're not beating them one nil. You know that aggregate scoreline at the end of a tournament, like that, that at least tells you okay, like the opponents maybe weren't great, and the U.S. were making them look even worse, and that's what you want. Um, Paxton Aronson was the best player in the tournament. Diego Luna, who we talked about a lot on the show, opened up a ton of eyes. Quinn Sullivan, six goals, three assists. Cade Cowell continued to look like a real threat despite despite his suspension for the final after what happened against Costa Rica. But like you, you came out of this tournament. Jack McGlynn, um, you know, you you felt good about kind of that next wave of players that are going to trickle through. Not all these guys are going to break through to the 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 senior team, especially because the senior team is so damn young in their own right. So it's going to be hard for a lot of these young players. But you can clearly see that you know in terms of. Uh, depth for the senior team in terms of gold cups, however they want to factor you know some of these other players into those tournaments, uh, injuries that are going to occur. You, you can just tell that there are there's more young talent coming through, that there's not this drop-off like what we experienced back at the World Cup qualification cycle for 2018, where there just felt like there was this gap of time where players were not, uh, were not, were not growing at the rate that the U.S. was expecting yeah. them to, and it feels like you can see that the pipeline is is fresh right now with talent, which is huge. Yeah, I, I think a point that you make there was is depth. I mean, there were six changes made between the the Honduras game and and the Dominican Republic game. Now, obviously, that would be because of the you could afford to do that because, like you said, the opposition not exactly world beaters. But I I, I do think that, and I have experience of this. We, you've got this youthful crop of players. You need that depth. You need numbers because they all ain't making it. That is just the law of averages, whether it be injuries, form, or just they can't really hack it at the top professional level. All these guys aren't going to make it. And so you want a a thick talent pool at this age as possible so you can have players, prospects coming through for your senior side. I watched an Irish team in '99 go to like the semi-final. Uh, they were in the third place playoff for, of uh, of the World Cup, the U20 World Cup, much higher level than CONCACAF. <laughs> Honestly, Andrew, we got Robbie Keane and Damien Duff out of that. Mm-hmm. That was two play- two players out of, out of now two great players, but two players who, well, maybe, maybe there was another couple of here or there, but maybe Richard Dunn, I can't remember. But, there wasn't. It wasn't like you came out with a whole squad that was ready to fight for places on the senior side. But you would sign so, up for that, though, knowing that, like, uh, if you knew we're only getting two players out of this, but they're going to have Dean and uh, Duff and Keen careers. You'd say then, then we, then they did their job. A hundred percent. But that's just the point I'm making. That you know, these youth tournaments at whatever level, you just have to take them with. You have to be really happy. I, I think the big thing for me was the way that they played. It was exciting football at times. I can use the, the cliche swashbucklings. So, so well done to them. Um, and, you know, you can talk about opposition as well, but there were times when the U.S. teams have struggled mightily mm-hmm. against against this class of opposition. So, right. uh, it's like, very, like we very, said, it's, it's been three Olympic qualification cycles where they have not been able to do this. Uh, so it's, it's overall hugely, hugely positive. Yeah. Um, another takeaway I had from it is that I, I don't know. I would say, JJ, it feels like MLS youth academies are, are working, that they're doing their job. 17 of the 20 players on this team are rostered in MLS. Every player who scored in the U.S.'s 6-0 win over the Dominican Republic in the final are MLS homegrown players. So, again, like 
we talking about the pipeline of young talent like this is part of it like how do you how do we develop this talent how do we cultivate it well you know Paxton Aronson Philadelphia Union renowned youth system like it feels like this is like the gears are turning it's it's working right now the way that it's supposed to be working uh, so it it's all good and then um, finally just this tweet that I saw from uh, at Chuck Me ninety two soccer and he kinda, oh that sounds good this is this is going to be solid. Well, here's what he said. He said, he just says, the U.S. since June of 2021, both CONCACAF senior trophies held by an under-23 heavy squad, uh, 2022 World Cup qualified with the fifth youngest weighted age of nearly 600 World Cup qualifying participants since the 2014 cycle, uh, 2023 under-20 World Cup qualified, 2024 Olympics qualified. That's a lot of winning going on right now. And I think that yep. that can become a habit uh, on all levels. And, you know, you can it kind of becomes culture. Uh, and it feels like the ball is is rolling right now in that way. And like and look, now they've given themselves more opportunities to compete with under 20 qualification for Olympics and, and the World Cup um, and kind of keep that ball rolling. Like, I don't know, we we're we're not wrong when we get sucked into the vortex of a bad performance against, you know, Canada or Costa Rica in World Cup qualifying stuff like that, but I mean honestly though, when you when you step back and kind of look at what's going on here, it's it's hard not to think that US soccer is in a really healthy place right now. I can I can I preface everything I'm about to say by saying I fundamentally agree with what you're saying. Can I do that? No. Because I know you're you're just saying that as a meaningless qualifier for what will undoubtedly be a, a dark and negative take. No, no. Well, kind of. Uh, I, I I agree with you 100. I think it is true. I, I would be, I mean, extremely happy with those NLS uh, development ca- academies and how they've worked out. You only need to look at the triangle of of Philadelphia and Re- and the Red Bulls and even. NYCFC. I mean, look, we'd be wrong, we'd be wrong to not mention FC Dallas and everything that they've done over the years with their youth systems and, and bringing Absol- players through. Absolutely, some are better at it than others for sure. But allow me to speak for the rest of the nations of, of Concacaf because that is the context in which a lot of this winning was done. You've got all this money, all this brain power, and technical staff and coaching. You've thrown the kitchen sink at it. You should be winning these things. Well, I mean, okay, fine. You're right. Like, I guess not qualifying for the Olympics is a disappointment. But, like, the point is they haven't always done these things, whether that's through mismanagement or or underachievement. But, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, now they're they're doing it now. This is a healthy place that they're in. And And this is a great place that they're in. So yeah, I guess fundamentally we do agree. You just found a way to make it sort of a No, 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 no. What I'm doing, Andrew, is this is called this is careful pod thought because <laughs> we have a lot of listeners who may live in the United States but have their ties are very firmly in with other CONCACAF nations and we've got listeners from other CONCACAF nations and it gets pretty hard to to listen to the big old Uncle Sam stretching his legs and 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 crowing about his success when they have such limited resources in those countries. So well, then guess what? All. Then guess what? To those people, you got the wrong podcast on right now. We're oh, gonna wow. we're gonna that be happy when the U.S. does divisive. well. 
divisive and alienating as per usual. Not saying I'm not happy. We look, we went in the club with Canada. Like we're, it's it's not alienating or divisive, but like you know by now what you're getting when you turn you when you when you click syrup. when you Just click play on caught offside after they've won stuff. Like yeah, you're not wrong. This is this is the expectation should be high for them, and it is. But they're meeting it right now, or even surpassing it in certain ways. You know, beating Mexico in everything right now—that's not normal. That doesn't always happen for the U.S. for however whatever their money and resources are. So, yeah, I'm gonna—they're winning a lot of stuff right now. I'm gonna be happy about it. I'm not gonna be ashamed. Andrew, Andrew there's a Shakespeare quote I'd like to end on. I, I believe Shakespeare said it quite something like this: "Easy be it for the man to speak when he doth not need oh. to read the tweets." Oh my God. Oh my God! You've you've all just witnessed it, everyone. The most smug moment in the history of the podcast has just occurred. History, history. Not an actual Shakespeare never referenced Twitter. No, the Bard oh, no, wasn't. My... Uh, what at at the Bard? Uh, when was he born? What would his number be? At Willie Shakes. <laughs> um. Yeah. No. Uh, I. This is the fever coming on. <laughs> I'm going to stop it. I'm trying to think of other Shakespeare Twitter handles. Something about Stratford upon Avon, or I don't know. It'll hit me. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We continue now, JJ, and we go to the as as previously mentioned, the new Fulham. That's right, Leeds. Oh Jesus! First, you're just going to get me crushed. First, it was Jesse Marsh, then Brendan Aronson, and now Tyler Adams. That's right. Here we go. He's heading to Leeds, the American invasion. It continues. Um, I mean, I'm half kidding here. Like, but as an American fan, it's obviously I like seeing this. I like, you know, I view the Premier League as the best league in the world, and so it it pleases me to see Americans going there, and presumably for for important roles. Um, like, I don't think. Brennan Aronson and Tyler Adams are not going there to sit on the bench. Like I, I think these will be first-team players. Now, they're going to have to do their part to hold those jobs down, of course. Uh, but I think that's, that's the expectation. Um, I, I like this move for Tyler Adams. I think, you know, for whatever reason, he had just kind of fallen out at RB Leipzig, whether that was his own performance, whether that was the manager who just didn't necessarily feel that there was a place for him or his style. I don't know. Um, but I think here he'll have a chance, and I th- I think Leeds fans will like him. Like it feels like you know that's kind of like what would you say, JJ? I mean, you know the dynamic of Leeds as a city better than I do, but the sense I get is kind of blue collar. I feel like Tyler yeah. Adams will will fit that mold. He's we've talked about him. He's gritty. He's feisty. You know we've seen that recently, um, even in the friendlies or, or the Nations League matches that o- occurred as of late. So um, I don't know. I kind of I, I think this can work. I feel good about it. I'm not going to say that uh, Tyler Adams is in the grand tradition of Giles and Bremner yet, but he's a midfielder that can, you know, pass the ball, carry the ball, win tackles, and is energetic. Mm. And so, like, I mean, this is this is way too soon to say this, but should the Leeds fans take to his style of play, which if he can stay fit and stay on the field regularly, I think they will. I think this is a guy that will get that kind of that kind of cult. Oh my god. I take that back. He won't be compared to Giles and Bremner. They are on their own. But I think Leeds United fans 
will really appreciate the way he plays. And I think it's a great move generally, Andrew, because as I said, he needs somewhere where he'll play regularly. Things have gone pretty stale at Leipzig since that Champions League quarterfinal goal in 2020. He's back with a coach who's going to, well, first one that he knows really well, one that appreciates him, one that's going to show him some love. He, he needs that too. One that's probably going to play him in a more central position, one would think. Uh, and the other side to it is, I think it was Alexi Lalas, and Alexi will forgive me for if I misquote him, but he talked about in a tweet, failing upwards. And to a degree, that's true in terms of the of the size of a club that Leeds is and the spotlight of the Premier League. Like He's gone from being a bench player at Leipzig, not guaranteed minutes, a kind of a, a bit part player, to a guy who you expect in a revamped midfield is going to start a lot of games in the absence of, well, the midfield's kind of been, been gutted uh, with Calvin Phillips' lead. So it feels good. It feels right. Um, but again, it, it, there's a lot riding on this for, for Jesse Marsh. A huge amount riding on this because if Adams plays, and I think he will, he will need to be the fulcrum of a lot of things in the middle of that park. And I think I think he's capable of it, but he's certainly not a player that's done it a lot lately. And through no fault of his own, he can't pick himself. Uh, but there is pressure there. Um, yeah, I, I like it. I, on the face of it, I really like it. The, uh, the term you use there, failing upwards, is interesting. I don't know. Is that the case? I mean, RB Leipzig oh, are... Yeah. But RB Leipzig are... A Bundesliga Champions League side, like yeah, this, they're not Leeds United, like, and they don't have the spotlight. But but like, but history history is not the conversation here. It's like which club right now is the more successful club? Leeds were nearly okay. relegated just now from the Premier League. RB Leipzig are a team contending for Champions Leagues. Like, I don't know that I can say a guy going from Leipzig to Leeds right now is failing upward. I don't know that that's the case. Oh, I think so. I think, uh, and in certainly, it, it's certainly in terms. Okay, if I'm not going to argue because again, I hear the the footsteps of the Bundesliga stands tramping towards this conversation, and I'm not dissing the Bundesliga, but Leipzig do not have a, a support uh, and a global reach in the same way that Leeds United do. They but just that's don't not. Have that history. But that's not what but failing on, upwards on, is hang about. Hang on, hang on, hang on. It's not like he's starting for Leipzig. He's on the bench there. You honestly think? that the next move for him was a starting position at Ellen Road. No. Is that what you're telling me? No, no right. I'm, but No, so I'm that... saying this makes sense. I, I get a player who's not getting regular minutes at a Champions League club going to a club that was nearly relegated and expecting to start. Like, that That makes sense to me. That's not failing upward. Failing upward would be from... if he wasn't starting at RB Leipzig and then went to Real Madrid and was a starter there. Take the height. Take the high water mark of his career, the Champions League goal in the quarterfinal, and then track everything that's happened after uh, after that since. He'd reached a dip. I think being front and center in a league that the like so many people watch um, for for a club like Leeds, I think that's I think that's a, a step up in my opinion, a step up in terms of pressure. I'm not saying that if Leeds played RB Leipzig right now, that 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 Leeds would win the game. In fact. I don't think that's the case, but I just I just feel like uh, this is a move that is really going to put him front and center again in a way that he wasn't at Leipzig, and that feels like he did badly at 
Leipzig and now he's got a, a really big move to a really big club. I believe it was the Bard who once said, methinks <laughs> thine place something, something. Uh, yeah, but props to Tyler Adams and I think... Uh, I can joke about Fulham, but I, I, I'm not joking when I say American fans will be interested in their success, that there will be a lot of American eyes on that team this season. And I think if See, we... Sure, sure. But American fans aren't one-dimensional. They're not going to suddenly jump from the team they supported already to go follow Leeds. They'll have a, a renewed interest in what Leeds United are doing. Can I just mention, Leeds have been very active. They are looking to get Luis Sinistera of Feyenoord, the Colombian winger. Um, they're looking to get him uh, over the line. Uh, they've already had a failure, we believe, or reports are, with Club Bruges midfielder Charles de Quetelier, who's turned down a move in favour of AC Milan from the reports we're hearing. But if Leeds fans wanted you know, the board to be active and to back Jesse Marsh and to give Jesse Marsh the tools he wanted, they really seem like they're doing that. Yeah, Yeah, they certainly are. And good. I'm glad that he's, you know, he's going to get a chance here. To, you know, he had half a season. He kind of had to piece it together. He, he he made it work by the skin of his teeth, but they made it work. And now, you know, they're they're going to retool. Now, look, I expect that they'll lose Rafinha. That'll hurt. Uh, I think highly of him. But sure. they're, they're going to get Patrick Bamford back. Um, and I, like I said, I really think Adams and and maybe even more so Aronson. I really think that these signings will work. And uh, yeah, uh, look, I, I'm not a Leeds supporter, but I know I know I'll be interested. I will be. Uh, I will be keeping a close eye, JJ. Um, let's see. Let's come back to MLS for a sec. Uh, a trade that um, had been discussed for a while finally appears to have gone through as former MLS MVP winner Alejandro Pozuelo of Toronto FC headed to Inter-Miami. Um, and with that, another prominent Italian appears headed to Toronto in Federico Bernadeschi. Wow, a lot going on. Yeah, I, I didn't see this one coming. I'm sure there are uh, reasons beyond uh, beyond my understanding, money reasons, uh, things behind the scenes. That means they want Pozuelo to, to move on. But I kind of, you know, uh, Toronto FC will receive 150000 in allocation money from Inter for the player. Um, I, I just would, I would have loved have seen him rammed into a team with Lorenzo Insigne and see how that would have worked out. Um, but I guess that's not really going to be the way forward. It's going to be possibly Bernardeschi alongside Insigne. You wonder what role Insigne had in the recommendation of Bernardeschi. I love Pozuelo. I, like He's one of my favourite players to watch in the league. He scored one of my favourite goals of all time in the league. Um, and it's... Uh, yeah, he's going down to Inter-Miami, which on the face of it, yeah, okay, all right. This is a team that might be might be going places, but there's so much uncertainty there, uh, you know, with Phil Neville in charge. And, you know, is this team in its current uh, formation ever going to be good? Um, and, and I feel like Toronto have the potential to be challenging for things. And so Pazuelo is probably going to miss out on that, but... Um, well, they haven't. They, it's been rough. The transition to Bob Bradley has been tough. Uh, but, yeah, but I but, think it's. I think there's more upside to that uh, franchise than there is to to the immediate health of uh, of Inter Miami right now. Uh, that's hard to say. Uh, I don't know. Um, I think look, Pozuelo will help. I think highly of him. Now he hasn't had a great season, but he's played well lately. It feels like he's come on, um, and you know we'll see if that form continues. Uh, but I'm certainly intrigued by what Toronto will look like. 
Uh, obviously, when Insigne hits the field and Bernadeschi as, as well, um, if that if that one does become official. But uh, yes, yeah, some some pretty prominent movement in uh, in MLS. I'll tell you what. Let's go ahead. We'll take one more break, JJ, because on the other side, there's still a couple other transfers that I want to discuss. Richarlison going to uh, Tottenham. We got to talk about the Mo Salah contract extension with Liverpool. Uh, so there's still a, a few little bit of business still to attend to here on Caught Offside. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back again on Caught Offside. So I I know you're not going to like this, JJ. Um, in your condition, I don't know if you're, you know, where your head is at right now. Um, if you're if if you're functioning at, at 100%, I'm not sure, but I'm definitely I'm definitely not, guys. I will oh. admit that. Well, oh no, not that music. Nevertheless, so here's the question I had for you. Uh, we mentioned earlier in the podcast about Cristiano Ronaldo and Chelsea, how that that could be a thing that happens. Six players in the Premier League era um, have scored for both clubs in a Premier League match: Manchester United and Chelsea. Can you name them? Mata. Uh huh. Matic. Uh-huh. Lukaku. Uh-huh. Uh, Juan Sebastian Veron. Very good. What am I up to fight? Um, You've got uh, two left. Two, two, two left. Um, uh, Radamel Falcao. Very good. One more. And I'm probably just... My COVID brain is fried now, so I the last one would be... Oh, Mark Hughes. Yes, he did it. Get in there. Oh, he is. Yeah, yeah. You come at the king, even when he's got COVID, you make me sick. How dare you? What, are you mad at me? I'm, I'm happy for you. you know? No, you tried to show me up in my in my weakened condition, and I, you know what? I slapped you down. You were an upstart. You were like that tennis guy that tried to beat Novak Djokovic, but guess what? He didn't. You're you're a sick man. You need help. You don't know how to. You have friends that love you, and all you do is push them away. Uh, I, <laughs> I was so proud of what you just did there. I was about to hit the ding, ding, ding on the bell, um, but no, you I just still hit, you, I hit that for me, please. I hit that for me, will you? No, I don't feel like it anymore. Ah, please. I'm in a weekend state. There. Thank you. Yeah, you did it. Those are the uh, the six that have scored for both in, the, in a Premier League match. Good job. I, I feel like there should be more. It seems slim, but there we are. In the Premier League, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, there's uh, – so there are two yeah. others that have played for both but that didn't score. Uh, Mark Bosnich. And, oh, yeah, B- Bozzy. And Paul, he was a goalkeeper. And Paul Parker. So Paul Parker played for Chelsea. That is news to me. Didn't even know that. There you have it. You learn something new. Uh, let's see. Let's wrap up with a few uh, kind of news and notes here. They're not they're not small. I don't mean to relegate this to the end here, but uh, JJ, in the end, all that stress, all that back and forth and posturing over Mo Salah, kind of wound up being for naught. And we kind of have arrived at where we thought we would arrive all along. He will remain a Liverpool player. Yeah, I think it's. I think he's a big winner. Obviously, to the tune of three hundred fifty thousand pounds sterling a week. It's reflective of the unbelievable service he's given since 2017, 2018 to the club. He's been just amazing. Uh, I think the club personally, 
look, do you, do you worry about a guy entering his 30s? I, I don't think anything makes John Henry fret more than men turning 30. I don't. I, I really don't. But it would, there would have been uproar from the fans if this didn't get done. He is still productive. There is concerns about the way he would have ended the season. I'm pretty sure of that. But uh, this seems like a, a great move. He gets to stay, stay in the system that made him a superstar. He gets to stay at a club uh, that he does love, in fairness, um, that he genuinely seems to want to stay at. He didn't really want to uproot his family and leave. So, so that works out. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, think, I think everyone's a winner. Yeah. Probably a shame, a shame it took so long. Yeah, whatever though. I don't know. Well, whatever. That. It's done. It's done now. It's it's done. So I mean, it it took so long because honestly, it could. Like he still had another year on his contract. Like it like it didn't. I understand Liverpool not wanting the clock to drag too far down on this one, but um, I, I'm I'm good with all of it. Uh, his the wages you mentioned fourth highest weekly wages now in the Premier League at three fifty per week, um, which he certainly deserves. Uh, and one thing too, when I look at uh, Sala, and I start thinking about next season. You know, uh, there's a lot of clubs that are like at Liverpool's level, like the top six teams, like that. That I think about, okay, that World Cup, just that frantic part of the schedule where the season will have started. Then these guys are going to go to this tournament. They're going to come back. Yeah. That how's that going to affect a lot of teams? How's that wear and tear of of playing in that tournament going to affect teams? Um, but then I think about him, and for whatever. Um, for whatever personal strife not qualifying for the World Cup may have given him and Egypt, as far as what it means for him with Liverpool, that's like while all those guys are going to go, he's going to have a nice month to kind of like recoup a little, uh, to rest a little bit. Like, I don't know. Next season, I would expect him to be scary good once again. Uh I, I'd hope so. Um, I'd hope so. And I do agree with you. The rest is key. I think the engagements frazzled him, uh, not qualifying for the World Cup and the trauma of losing to Senegal and then the African Cup of Nations. I really don't think that that helped his form into what was a very important part of Liverpool's season. Um, so, yeah, I, here's hoping that you're, that you're correct. Uh, but we've, we've, uh, we've got some transfers in North London that you're probably chomping at the bit to talk about. Yeah, Tottenham, boy, have they been busy. Richarlison signs with Spurs. They had been at this for a little while, and they pushed it through. Um, by the way, he's then promptly suspended for a match for that flare incident at the end of last season. But, um, yeah, this is an interesting one because, boy, they spent a lot. I mean, they this is, like, not not really the norm in terms of, like, where Tottenham go with money um, for a player who is not a definitive starter. And I don't, like... I like the signing. I think it's, you know, Tottenham are going to, they're going to want to try to win a lot of stuff next year. That, that trophy drought is well documented. Uh, you know, in terms of the league, to me, they're not on City or Liverpool or, I mean, Chelsea, they might, they, they're probably closing in on Chelsea. But like Antonio Conte doesn't strike me as a manager who's cool with playing for fourth. Like they're going to go, they're going to go for that. Uh, the Champions League. So depth is, is a huge thing for Tottenham right now. Um, but boy, that that just felt like a lot of money for me for a guy who is not passing Sun Kane or even Kulisevsky right now on the depth chart in that as part yeah. of that front three. So, um, but we've we've ta- we've talked about this. I just see like the strengths of this player are not on the assists goal scoring chart, at least not yet, unless Conte sees something that we don't. 
But the, his strengths in terms of dribbling, in terms of interceptions, winning tackles, putting himself about and work rate, pretty high. Yeah, so I agree with that. Me, so that makes me think that he will end up it's in, in a kind of a, a wider position, even wider than he was at Everton, as one of those Conte signings where you're like, huh, what's he up to there? Oh, oh, that worked. Um, and so I'm very interested to see if that is what, what he does. Uh, I, I feel like I'm going into the season with multiple managers wondering, I don't know what you're going to do, but I am fascinated. And and Conte, uh, Conte and Richarlison are are certainly an interesting match. Also, talk about taking a chance on a guy who has I thought I thought I saw written somewhere today, and it's probably accurate. A byword for mistakes and Clement Longley. Mm-hmm. So, okay, you know, there was a need for a left-footed center, center half. Um, he's versatile. I, I, I think I read somewhere that he's, he's pretty good in the back three. But, like, I want you to be honest, Andrew. When you think of Clement Longley, this is what I think of. I think of replays of goals that Barcelona have conceded in some of their worst moments in the last few years and kind of slow-motion panned shots of PK looking around, desolate, and Longley wondering what the hell has just happened. There is a certain amount of uh, rehabilitation that needs to happen to this guy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was not, you know, some of these signings that Tottenham have made, I have, as a fan, I've celebrated them. That This one, to me, is fine. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad move for them. Um, but, I, like again, like I said, they need a big squad. And so I think this player kind of fits the bill. There's potential for high upside. I mean, you know, Barcelona obviously saw something in him at some point. Uh, it didn't work there the way that perhaps he or the club had hoped. But that doesn't mean that whatever potential is in there has completely evaporated. I uh, Cor- correct. So it was. It's a fine move for me. I wasn't. I didn't think it was bad. I don't think it's. It doesn't change the way I feel about Tottenham as a club. But they need a big squad, and so you're going to get some moves like that. I think. Generally speaking, for me with Tottenham, I want to give some credit to a guy who doesn't often get credit. And, you know, I mean, obviously, Paratici is behind a lot of these signings, but Daniel Levy as well. And, mm-hmm. like, Tottenham were in a weird possession with Conte heading into this summer where they kind of needed to, like, almost recruit their own manager to remain with them. And the only way they could really do that was by shelling out money and going out and buying players and getting the squad bigger and to a place where they feel like they can compete on multiple fronts. And like I have, I don't remember. I mean, I can go back and look at past transfer windows for Tottenham, but I don't remember too many where they've been this active this quickly. They're always the the kings of waiting until the final second when you know a player has already missed the first month of the season and then it's going to take another month to get acclimated. Like that's that is not happening here. They've done all their business early. They're about to go off on their preseason tour, I think, in in Korea, and they're going to have most of these guys with them for that. That they can all bond and and you know be around Conte more and get a sense of what it is that he actually wants from them. And uh, so. You know, more than almost, almost as much as the names themselves. What I'm happy about is when these names are being brought into the fold. I think they've really they've done a great job in that way. It's not not traditionally something that they do. So, props to them. They've given Conte what he wants, and I'm ex- I'm excited to see how he uses all of it now. 
I think he should be. Uh, there's been a lot done to make sure this manager stays, and now he must deliver. Speaking of Spurs, their former manager, Murcio Pochettino, officially jobless. Uh, he is out at PSG. We knew this was coming, but now uh, in the last 24 hours, it's it's become official. All in all, the job he did at PSG, it'll probably it'll probably be forgettable. Um, and I take no pride in saying that. I'm, I'm no lover of PSG, but I do love Murcio Pochettino. And um, you know that that part of me wanted to see him really succeed there, in a way that maybe previous managers had not. That was not the case. Uh, so. No, it wasn't the case. It was uh, it was a kind of a spectacular failure, from not winning the league in his first year uh, to then being uh, just it was so ineffective in the Champions League, uh, uh, in a, an inability to manage the coterie of personalities and big star names. Just. Just not good. Uh, not a club that fitted him. Not a club that fitted his profile as a manager. We've been over this ground before. There's there's not much else to say except that Christophe Galtier is the new PSG coach. Talk about walking into a, a flaming hot seat. He, of course, won the league title with Lille the season before last season uh, in spectacular fashion after rescuing them from potential relegation. Uh, he's very good friends with the current sporting director, uh, I think his name is Luis Campos at PSG. So Campos has spoken highly of him before. So I think he wanted to eventually wanted to get Pochettino out and get Gaultier in. Uh, but the, but his name is so like you know it's it's so of the region that uh, it immediately made me think of the director you hate the most, uh, Wes Anderson. If this if this was a Wes Anderson movie, Andrew, the title would be Good Luck, Monsieur Gaultier. You can see it, right? And like, there's there's a picture of a training ground, but it's a training ground in the 1940s with cobblestones. And Monsieur Gaultier pulls up on a on a on a bicycle, a, a, a Peugeot, a Peugeot bicycle, gets off it, and then the assembled media come with the big bulbs, and then in comes Neymar in like flat cap and trench coat, and he kind of snarls at Monsieur Gaultier. Uh, that's the vision I'm seeing in my fevered dreams. I don't know that I'm seeing that movie. I'll pass. Uh, yeah, you'll pass on all uh, Wes Anderson movies. By the way, just just in terms of quotes, uh, Gaultier is not behind the times in the way that he coaches, or at least I hope he isn't, although I did hear mention of 442. Uh, he used a phrase I haven't heard since 2003. He said, whether or not I'm a bling-bling coach, I'm very demanding. I like my players to work hard. work hard. I also like my players to be happy. You get that by having good relations. In order for the good, for them to be happy, I think the squad needs to be smaller. I've spoken to the board. Means he's spoken to Mbappe. I can't have players in the dressing room all season who don't play. I have to get the right dynamic in the squad so that everyone is involved. And he also went on to say he definitely wants Neymar. Who would not want Neymar? The classic political answer, even though we're pretty sure. Wasn't it two, three weeks ago Neymar was trying again? To get out of Paris. What a that's an interesting quote from an incoming manager. What a thing to say. Like, yeah. okay, get ready, world, for the PSG fire sale. Like, don't you think that they kind of lose a little bit of leverage when the manager says I'm actively looking to trim this squad? Uh I don't know. I mean, it didn't make sense to start off with the bling bling comments. Maybe he maybe he was worried that the bling bling comment can only be about Neymar. And then he got, oh, God. And halfway through his answer, 
he football spoke his way out and started just saying, oh, it's about actually squad players. That can't be Neymar then. Do you know what I mean? Do you get what I'm saying? He literally, he was going to go all guns blazing, immediately regretted it with the bling bling comment and then found an exit strategy through saying he wants to have a smaller squad. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe we're just overthinking everything. (laughs) Who knows? We probably are. Uh, We probably are. This podcast is is coming. One question about Potts, though. So where does where does he go next? Like he kind of, so he was up in that rarefied air where we always talk about that there are certain a certain echelon of club where they just kind of keep passing around the same managers to one another. But like it feels like Potts. So he broke through the barrier, got into that rarefied air, and now is being kind of like, is it possible he's going to be sent back down to the tier below? No, I don't think so. But I think I mean. I think the next job he'll want will be a fixer-upper. Uh, now, the major fixer-upper <laughs> in Manchester is already uh, taken. Right. So, so like, I think I, I think there might be a little bit of, of reflection time. And, and maybe he goes to a smaller club. Uh, maybe he goes to a, an ambitious club in Italy. I can't see that, though, because I just don't think it's a league we want to manage in. Um, I don't know. I, I think the next medium to the next fair sized Premier League club in need of a sprucing up and not sprucing up in need of a complete total rebuild is uh, is going to be Patches. And he may wait long enough to come uh, for Conte to leave Spurs because you, as much as you think they're back in Conte right now, you don't see Conte being there. We're not having this conversation three years down the line and Conte is still there. I can't no, see he's it. he's out of his mind. Again, I'm I'm all in right now. I'm on board. But he's a crazy person. You don't know week to week. So, may, so maybe it goes full circle back to to the beloved one. But like let's let's say in Spain, like what about like again, these are total hypotheticals. I'm just trying to figure out the the caliber of club that he might have to go back to to reprove himself. Like if Valencia got off to a bad start or Villarreal or Sevilla, like a club like that. Uh oof. maybe. Yeah. I could maybe. see it. I could see it. Maybe, maybe because the, the the other option is 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 the waiting game, and uh, that might be that might be too much for him. Yeah. Uh, let's see. One more thing for me, JJ, that I just saw earlier today from uh, this is from Rob Dawson at ESPNFC. He said Jesse Lingard is set to travel to the United States to listen to pitches from Major League Soccer teams, keen to sign the forward this summer. Sources told ESPN. Um, now, here's the part that I don't entirely understand, and I'm curious to get your opinion on. Um, I'm reading again from Rob's story. He said, The key consideration for the England international is regular playing time as he looks to force his way back into Gareth Southgate's England national team squad ahead of the World Cup in Qatar in November. Who wrote now, that? That's from Rob Dawson. Uh, so, now look, you know me. You know I'm I'm an MLS defender. Uh, but I don't know what the perception is of MLS abroad, certainly in England, where, fo- where footballing smugness is always on high alert. Uh, I don't know that Jesse Lingard coming to the U.S., let's say he goes to like D.C. United and he goes there and he plays really well. Uh, is that is that moving Gareth Southgate? I don't no. like, if that's if that's Jesse Lingard's hope. I don't I would have a long talk with Gareth Southgate before I made a move like that. Uh, like the only one who really managed it and he had to retire once beforehand was someone who had the status of David Beckham, uh, who got called back in at the. Uh, the dying hours of the Steve McLaren regime mm-hmm. and uh, and played for England uh, as an LA Galaxy player. Uh, but then again, Beckham, 
at the minute Beckham got to LA, he was thinking, how can I get out and play? You know, if I want to keep my England job, I got even I have to go to Milan twice, three times, uh, and try and play for PSG as well. So, uh, yeah, Jesse, I mean, I would never ever question like Rob's reporting is solid, but if they, oh, yeah. if, if, if Lingard's people is saying, are saying these things, that's it's laughable. It's 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 genuinely laughable. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think the move for him is to stay in England. Like we saw what he did at West Ham. 100 percent. Like, and there's no interest from anyone, nobody. Like Nottingham Forest. There's nothing. Bournemouth. There's there's literally nothing where he can't be front and center week in week out, in front of Gareth Southgate's nose. You do not force yourself into one of the most talented England teams in 30 years by going to Washington. You just don't. Yeah. I mean, I threw that out as a hypothetical, but yeah, wherever. In, well, you in, know what I in mean. In the States. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I'll be curious how that transpires because I, pers- look, my personal interests are not that of England's. Um, so as an MLS fan, I'd love to see it. I think he could really, I think he'd work here. I think he'd be a fun personality for the league. I think it'd be a good oh. move. A guy under 30. Um, so I'm, I'm good with it. Uh, that whole that whole Jay Ling's branding brought to the United States would uh, would turn a few stomachs, I think. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Uh, can I finish? I just want to I want to get out on something that I saw from a former colleague, uh, Matteo Benetti. At Benetti, he's a great follow for for all your casual football stuff. Uh, Monza are back in Serie A. They will be playing there come August and they have an owner who will be familiar to you all if you're a political or if you just remember his ownership I suppose successful ownership of AC Milan Silvio Berlusconi has laid Ooh. out his physical requirements for players signed in the transfer market now I did not realize that Silvio Berlusconi who's got to be close to 80 or pushing 80 or maybe in his 80s former how shall we say it so we don't get in trouble interesting politician Let's leave it at that. You can do your own reading, guys. Look up Berlusconi. A man of some Uh, controversy. Man of some controversy, yes. A man of hair that appears to have been uh, painted on. Uh, (coughs) So he set out some interesting physical requirements. They must be Italian, which is off to a good start there in the global game. No tattoos. Where are you going to find a footballer without a tattoo? Especially an Italian one. No earrings, no beards. Hair must be neatly styled. The club has a barber on site ready to give free haircuts. I mean, if you're a professional footballer, even at Monza, the last thing you want is a free haircut. You want to be styled. Some of those Italian haircuts at at, uh, at various tournaments we've seen, they're outstanding. They're pieces of art. Why do you want the guy... Signed by Johnny Toupee, your owner. Like, I don't think on. I don't think they're employing some bum to give soccer players haircuts. They're probably going out and finding a really accomplished barber or stylist. I don't know. So what what kind what kind of haircut are they going to get? Like neatly styled. What what does I don't know? Normal styled? normal haircuts. Whatever <laughs> whatever they want. No no no. You're 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 digging too. You're going too far here. I don't like the, the no way- the no beard thing. I'm not a fan of. Yeah, I don't. I don't uh, think Matt, beards are a sign of like disheveledness. I think like if they're, if, you know, if you want to have some rule that they've got to be manicured, like they got to be, you know, you can't just you can't grow at a certain length. Okay, fine. I don't love that either. But like I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think some guys, some guys look better with facial hair. Look good, play yeah, good, but, right? Yeah, Isn't that but, what they say? Yeah, but, yeah, but why, why set up a double standard for yourself when, um, uh, as uh, 
Matteo notes, uh, this isn't strictly enforced if the player is good enough. They're trying they're trying to sign Mario Balotelli and they have links to Mauro Icardi. And Mauro Icardi is a pretty tattooed uh, individual. So yeah, interesting. It feels like old school stuff and it reminds me of, it's got to be top five favourite Simpsons where uh, Montgomery Burns is manager of the power plant team and he's got a guy who's just not by the name of Don Mattingly, who's just not following the code. Mattingly, get rid of those sideburns. What sideburns? You heard me, hippie. Mattingly, for the last time, get rid of those sideburns. Look, Mr. Burns, I don't know what you think sideburns are, but... Don't argue with me, just get rid of them! <gasps> Mattingly! I thought I told you to trim those sideburns! Go home! You're off the team! For good! Fine. <laughs> I still like him better than Steinbrenner. <laughs> <laughs> the, and Don Manley literally shaves into his into his side uh, the side part of the the side of the hair to to try and get rid of whatever Burns thinks are sideburns. <laughs> right, because he has none. He it's has awesome. no sideburns. My favorite line is where he just breaks and goes, "Mr. Burns, I don't know what you think sideburns are." <laughs> Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Great days. I know you're more of a family guy guy, but uh, there's some classics. Season season one to eight or nine of The Simpsons is pretty, pretty amazing oh, yeah. Uh, com- comedy. Yeah, I love both, but I, I just have more of the ability to quote family guy in, a, in the way that you quote The Simpsons. But I do, I love both shows. Yeah, they're they're excellent. Well, there you go, JJ. W- one final piece. We didn't have, we didn't do a mailbag this week, but there was one uh, message I wanted to read. Uh, Chris, oh boy. Chris slid into our DMs. He says, I'm headed to Ireland in mid-August. It'll be my first time visiting. We're planning on going to Dublin, Galway, Belfast, and Cork because it's where my family's from. Are there any historic or unmissable places that I need to go to? Um, well, he says as a football fan, but I'm just thinking as as a as a tourist. Oh, you you I, are Chris, not, ta- you're, you're not qualified to answer this. I'm sorry. I, I should probably handle I, this I, one. I, I'll do. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you Dublin. Uh, I would go. You, Dublin, you'll do very quickly, Chris. But I would go to Kilmainham Jail. I go to Trinity College. I go to the Trinity College Museum, um, and then I'd uh, I'd have a pint in one of the the great Dublin institutions in the middle of town. Anyone can direct you towards towards one of those. And then uh, if you're going over to the west coast, I would. You know, I mean, geez, you've got so many options there. It's it's all the West Coast is just so it's where I'm from. It's just absolutely beautiful. It's like New Zealand on steroids. It's absolutely gorgeous. Whoa! So, so you can't go around there. It really is. It's wow. when I come home, when I'm feeling better than I feel right now, I I can't stop appreciating. But uh, yeah, Chris, I'll reply to you in the DMs. But uh, uh, you won't you won't go far wrong in Ireland. Kilmainham was definitely going to be my suggestion. That was fascinating. Yeah. Um, it is fascinating. If you want to just, it, I would say that it's okay to be a tourist. All right, JJ's going to give you the the off the beaten path, but go, if you want to be a tourist, go ahead. There's nothing wrong with that. I would say, like, like if you want to do the Guinness tour, fine. But I I enjoyed actually the Jameson uh, tour more. Yeah, and and I would say, I mean, Guinness storehouse won't thank me for that. But the best pint of Guinness is not in the storehouse. I was in a in a bar called Malloy's. Uh, literally when I got off the plane, I was like, take me to Malloy's. And it's right beside the train station on the way home to Sligo. And I had a pint of Guinness in there that was, I'll be honest with you, was heavenly. Might have been where you oh. got COVID. Oh, thanks for that. Thanks for that. Cheers. Yeah. I just want to help you trace back to the source. 
Yeah, well, oh, you're oh. the source of my, of my irritation right now. <laughs> also, I would say uh, we did a when I was in Ireland, we did a day trip uh, to Wicklow, and it was amazing. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. So it's truly, 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 truly beautiful. Oh uh, yeah, I would. Do uh, th- I, I do gonna, that every time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and sleep some of this off, uh, and stop being uh, Johnny Trip Advisor over here. All right. Well, hey, I hope you feel better. I hope this helped in some in some small way. Um, Thanks, and, and to anyone out there dealing with, with the same as JJ, I hope this helped you as well. This is for all of you out there. And t- thanks, guys, for sticking with us. I know I haven't been uh, – I've been low energy. Well, hey, JJ, to you, I say – Take it later, fun boy. Get well soon, man. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 